overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From that time on, he made him an overseer in his house and over all that he had. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all he had in the house and field. And so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and, he, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He has not He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And she spoke to Joseph day after day, and he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day he went into the house to do his work, and none of the other men of the house was there in the house. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. As soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought amongst us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came to me to lie with me and I cried out in a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I, that I had lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled out and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought amongst us came into me, came, uh, into me to laugh at me, And as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this was the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love, and gave him favour in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison uh, put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge, because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. The word of God to us, Genesis 39. As uh, if you've been around us here for the last month or two, we've been going through uh, this series or this theme of uh, looking at um, faithful to the promise, a God who is uh, faithful to the promise. We've been going through uh, the last sort of back end of Genesis from 15 to uh, sorry, from 12 to 50. We've been looking at uh, how God's been interacting with the people uh, in these chapters 
of the book. And I think we continue to explore this idea of the, the promise, and the promise that God is working, particularly as we head up to Easter. Uh, and we think about that the promise was ultimately fulfilled through Jesus in his coming um, to fulfill God's promise uh, for us. Uh, that this time of Easter is that time where we recognise God's goodness to his people, that he brings hope and joy, that he brings purpose and meaning uh, to his people here. So keep praying for Easter as we head up into this. The last couple of weeks, if you were around, we looked at the life of Jacob. Uh, We saw uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was there that um, uh, this idea of waking up to the wonder that God is actually at work in many things and are we actually aware that he is at work uh, in these things and that we can worship and respond to God because he is present with us in those places uh, and we responded uh, in worship and praise in, um, in realisation of that. Last week, Joel uh, took the, the part of Jacob's story where he wrestles with God uh, or God wrestles with him. <laughs> And there's this sense that in, uh, in that wrestle, in that hard place, uh, that we're actually just clinging to God in that place. And um, that God is with us, that he is, God is dependable. God is uh, faithful despite whether it be fears or doubts or misgivings that we might have. And so this week, uh, we want to look at Joseph's uh, story. Uh, and it's probably a pretty famous one. Uh, it's a big one. It had, takes up 13 chapters of Genesis pretty well uh, that sort of unfolds the, um, the Joseph story. Many of us would know um, of it. He's coloured uh, dream coat, uh, you know, musical. The, what is it, Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream coat? Um, why is it? <laughs> I was thinking about it. It's a great story. That's why I think people have picked it up or Hollywood picked it up and you know, done these sorts of things because it's actually a great story. It's full of all sorts of um, intrigue. <laughs> um, there's highs and lows. Uh, it's a bit of a maybe a rags to riches type story as well. Um, and it's a great story that's uh, easy for us to engage with. But as I've warned along the way as we go through, what ends up happening a lot with these stories is that we get captured by the things that are happening in the story. We get captured by the people in the story and we actually start to miss a little bit what God's doing in the story. And so as we're looking at the life of Joseph uh, over the next couple of weeks, we've got to be asking, what's God doing? Why is he doing these things? What's the the big plan behind some of these uh, little things that are happening? Uh, many of us would, uh, would know it well um, and would probably see it as a, as a success story. As I was thinking about it and reading through it again uh, this week, I, I came, was, we were introduced to Joseph in um, Genesis 37 uh, where he starts telling his brothers and his parents about these dreams that he's having. Um, and they're obviously dreams about him and his family. And I, I still don't know whether... Joseph is just naive, he's not really aware of the impact that he's having or he's actually just arrogant and that he's rubbing it in their face a little bit that one day you will serve me and I will be over you. Uh, I'm not quite sure. And it's very interesting, I read through um, Genesis 37 as we get introduced to Joseph and there's all this stuff about him, the dreams and he gets, um, you know, the brothers are going to kill him 
Uh, he gets thrown into the pit. Um, and it's interesting, through that whole chapter, God is not mentioned once. God, we don't know how God's interacting in that story. It's quite intri- I don't know why. But I, I don't know whether Joseph was actually aware of God at that, or he was actually even following God at that point. It, it, it sort of just remains silent. <laughs> and, it's quite, um, that, and it's not until we actually get into the following chapters that we start to see that he is uh, interacting with God. Maybe it's in the pit that he uh, actually sees God and cries out to God and experiences God uh, in that as well. I'm not sure if he was following God back in those days or not. But it's interesting that um, in, the, you know, in the, the intrigue and the busyness of life that sometimes we can lose God and lose what God's doing and what's he up to and we get busy with the stories of our lives we start to miss him. And so I wonder, and I was just going to ask you to ask yourself this question, of what is God doing in your life right at this moment, in this period of time, in the last week or the month or so? What is God, what's your interaction with God? What's your situation? Just have a bit of a think and a, a process in that. Are you walking close with the Lord? Uh, have you wandered away from the Lord? Have you not even been thinking about the Lord? Has he been revealing things to you about your life? Is it just a hard slog for you at the moment? Or are things actually going really well for you? At work, school, life is actually going well and how's God interacting with that? What's your situation at the moment? Are you just cruising along? And hopefully this morning as we engage with the story of Joseph, we'll be able to also engage with our own stories and see what God's doing in that as well. If we go to the next slide, uh, this morning we're going to sort of cover chapters sort of 39 to 42 uh, and next week uh, Joel's going to pick up the the back end of uh, the Joseph story. And so uh, Joel was on a roll with the peas at the state youth service and so we kept the peas going again. Uh, so we're going, the story pretty well goes from the pit uh, to Potiphar's house, which we just read. Uh, he ends up in prison and if you know the rest of the Joseph story, he ends up uh, in the palace uh, uh, overseeing all of Egypt pretty well. And as we go uh, through this story, we uh, get the sense that God is at work behind this. Even in the chapter 37, where we don't read much about God, but we get the sense that it's actually God who saves Joseph's life. That originally, the brothers were going to kill him, and then Reuben sort of stands up and says, no, no, we'll throw him in the pit. Uh, He gets thrown in the pit, and then they were going to kill him again. They said, no, let's sell him off as a slave. Um, and God, we, we understand that God has worked there and actually saves his life and brings him down to Egypt, um, as of all places. And remember, remember I've said that going down to Egypt is not really the place God's people are supposed to be. So if you're reading this as a first-time reader back in these times, it's, this is not going well uh, where this is going. And then he uses the Ishmaelites. They're the guys that take him down there. Who are the Ishmaelites again? If you remember back a few, year, a few sermons ago, they're, they're the descendants of Ishmael, uh, Abraham's um, you know, illegitimate son, and a nation now has formed out of them. And remember God's promise to form nations? 
He's, he's formed the nation of Israel, but he's actually formed other nations. So the Ishmaelites, and later on, even out of Esau's line, there's the Edomites. Nations are being formed who actually end up being the enemies of God's people. And what's the backstory? What's it about? That God is at work even in all of that. God is using those things, and God is not out of control when other things seem out of control. He's, inter- he's working within these things to have the story of his people uh, and uh, him walking together uh, through life. We see it's actually God who orchestrates uh, Joseph to land up in Potiphar's house. It's not just by chance. God uh, is behind that and he ends up in Potiphar's house. Uh, It is God who gives him the gift to be able to interpret dreams. It's God who actually gives him the ability to be able to manage uh, the finances and manage the household well. It's God who um, is at work in Joseph's life. Uh, And I think, yeah, the writer is intentionally uh, writing these stories and these scenes to get us to see that actually it's God who's at work behind the scenes of all of this. Uh, and it's in the highs and the lows of Joseph's life. Uh, in, in chapter uh, 39 that we just read, uh, at verse, uh, 30, uh, in verse 2, we get that the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. We started to get it quite specifically now how God's uh, involved in this. And then what we're starting to see also is the people around Joseph notice that the Lord is at work. So Potiphar starts to notice. He says, oh, I, saw that, I see that the Lord is at work in his life, so I want to put him in there. And we think about that too in our lives, that as we go through life and as we live out our story, people are observing and watching our stories and the question we ask ourselves, are they seeing God at work? Are, they, are, we, a recog- are we acknowledging and, um, and pointing to him in our stories? And Joseph finds favour there in all that he did. Um, and then Joseph does this noble thing, honourable, obedient thing, where he resists the temptation of Potiphar's wife. Says no, and he does the God honor. And notice what he says there. He says, I'm not going to do this because of God. I'm going to be obedient to God here. And where does that get him? So Joseph's sort of the shining light in, uh, in the back end of Genesis. Joseph probably has one of the better lives. He's one of the more obedient people. You don't actually read a whole lot of uh, evil. And yet, he's perfectly obedient to God. And where does he end up? He ends up in a prison. Not a pleasant place. I could imagine being in an Egyptian prison back in those days was not a pleasant place. And even though I think we, this is where we glamorise the story, we think, oh, Joseph had a good in prison because he became in charge and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, he probably had a good out of, compared to what was going on there, but an Egyptian prison was not a pleasant place to be. And he was probably there for three or four years before he gets out. And then it says, and the Lord was with him and showed kindness to him and granted him favour. There's almost a sense that God 
took him to that place and put him in that place to display his glory and his presence in that place. Um, I was talking to John Chambers this week and we um, got on to Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. And there's a song in there that, uh, that Joseph sings when he's in the... In the in, and I just happened to look it up. And it's actually quite insightful. And so I just thought I'd, I'd read a little bit out of it. So could you imagine Joseph in this place? And this is the song that comes out of that, that musical. It says, Close every door to me, hide the world from me, bar all the windows and shut out the light. What do you want with me? Do you hate me and are you laughing at me? Darken my daytime, torture my night. If my life were important, I would, would I ask to live or die? But I know what the, where the answers lie, far from this world. So close every door, keep those I love from me. Children of Israel are never alone, for I, shall know, uh, for I know I shall find my own peace of mind, for I have been promised a land of my own. Close every door to me, hide the world from me, bar the windows and shut the light. Just give me... Uh, anyway, it goes on from there. But there's this sense that he's in the pit of this place and he's, he's dealing with the reality of that. He's not, a, God, what are you doing? This doesn't make sense. But yet, he's clinging to the promise. He said, but I know that you've got a land for me. I know that you're working in this situation. I think that's what we begin to see in Joseph's story, in that through the highs and the lows, God is at work, and God is doing things. And so if you just think back again to that situation that you find yourself in, is there a sense of what, what's God doing there? Where am I seeing him? And there might be questions around that, or there might be sort of clarity around that. I think Joseph actually begins to understand that God has given him the gift to interpret dreams. And you see, the story itself is not really about interpreting dreams. Because that's what we focus on, isn't it? Oh, we need to be able to interpret dreams. And, and yes, I believe that that happens, that God speaks to people through dreams. And I think it actually people actually help understand. But that's not the point of the story. That's just a, a gift that God... The point of the story is that God's with him in it and God uses those things to display his glory through his people in those places. The Lord was with him is the constant sort of cry. God was being faithful to his promise in the highs and the lows. In the amazing rise that we see after this, isn't it? He goes from prison to becoming the leader of the country. And that through his wisdom, as given by God, he stores up grain to save Israel, um, sorry, save Egypt, but not only Egypt, Israel. And then uh, in chapter 41, uh, 38, Pharaoh, who's uh, interacting with Jesus, uh, sorry, not Jesus, Joseph at that point, says, he says this of Joseph, can we find anyone like this man, the one whom the Spirit of God is upon? Joseph is a shining light in the highs and lows of his life. As I said to you, in the back half of Genesis, he is the shining person. He's probably the one that most of an example to follow. Most obedient and what we would probably term as most successful. Many examples for us to follow in the life of Joseph. 
But it's interesting because there's a chapter between chapter 37 and 39, which is, surprise, chapter 38. And if you've ever read, it's a bizarre story. It's a bizarre story about Judah, who's one of Jacob's sons, and his daughter-in-law, Tamar. And the whole chapter is a, a story of people who can't have children, Husbands that are evil, a God who interacts and brings justice. There is dis- disobedience, there is death, there is trickery, there's prostitution, there's unfaithfulness. And in this bizarre story, there's these two twins that are born at the end of that chapter, Perez and Zerah. I don't know if you remember that story, some of you might remember, it's a story where the twins are about to be born and one of the twins' hands comes out first. And on that hand, they put a scarlet thread on it. And then the hand goes back in. And then the, and, and they said, because that's the, the, the son that was born first. And we know that in those times, it was the firstborn that, would, that the inheritance would go through. But the hand goes back in and the other one gets born um, first. <laughs> and again, this continued theme that we've seen through is that it's, God tends to often work through the second born rather than the first born. God doesn't always work according to the plans that we think should be, the way it should be. And if we... There's this, there's this thing, you might have heard this, it's called the scarlet thread. And, peop- and theologians talk about the scarlet thread and they, talk, they picked up, and I think it's sort of picked up from this scarlet thread that was put around Perez's... But there's also, uh, when we get to the story of Jericho, there's also another scarlet thread, same word, that Rahab puts out. And they they become sort of signs of of the way she she was saved through that. Um, And theologians have sort of picked up on that a bit and then said there's this scarlet thread that runs all the way through the Old Testament from Adam and Eve through to Jesus. The scarlet thread is, and they say it's the one of atonement. And atonement is um, sacrifice. Uh, if you remember back in Genesis, the consequences of sin was death. And the way that we could make, uh, people could be made right with God was something had to die. Blood had to be shed. And usually it was an animal. And if you, you read all the way through, there's this trail of blood <laughs> that goes through. So even back in Genesis, Adam and Eve, what happens when they first sin? They recognize they're naked, and what does God do? He clothes them. What does he clothe them with? He clothes them with animal skins. How do you get animal skins? Something has to die. And so God had to kill. And and so right from that that day one where it all started to go wrong, this trail of blood starts to, that something had to die because of the consequences of sin. And as you go right through, you get uh, this trail of, Right through, we've, we've read it here, the sacrifice systems. Remember the story of Abraham in chapter 15? Of the sac- and then we get into the, new, uh, uh, into the temple system and all that. And we follow it all the way through to Jesus. And it's atonement. And the way I remember what atonement means is it's at one with. I always, I go into my Dutch. Met, met is with, isn't it, in Dutch? 
Yeah, yeah, so at one with, I don't know, it's a mix of my English, Dutch heritage or whatever it is. So it's at one with. So how do we become at one with God? Because if we've got sin, we've got things that have stopped us being at one with. He washes us clean as he pays the price and he punishes something with death. And ultimately, in this, it was the sacrificial system, it was the, the animals. But in the New Testament, we recognise that that didn't cut it. It was actually going to be God's son. Jesus, who came to earth to die as the lamb so that our sins could be washed clean and that we could be right with God. We could be at one with God. There is nothing that separates us with God. And there's this this trail that follows all the way through the brokenness of the Bible. Then there is another trail that follows right through the Old Testament from Adam and Eve to Jesus. And that trail is, um, I've gone blank on the word, genealogy, that's it. It's the line of Jesus. So where does the line of Jesus come from? It comes you know, the line of David. If you read in Matthew chapter 1, it has all the whole line of Jesus, right back to Abraham, right back to this promise and in that, you read Isaac and you Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah, and Judah was the father of Perez, and if you have a read in that chapter. And so that's where it goes. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, Judah the father of Perez, Perez the father of, and I can't remember the where. where. Um, do you notice an omission there? There, Joseph. He's not there the one shining light of Genesis, the back half of Genesis, the, what we would see, the most successful sort of, he's not in that line. <laughs> Who's in that line? Perez, who is the result of disobedience, incest, breaking, and God chooses to have his line work through Perez, not Joseph. That was a big thing. In, in ancient times. And God was sort of at work in both. <laughs> but it's, and this is the, the point, it was not dependent on whether you lived a shiny, successful life or you had a broken, messed up life. The story of God was not dependent on either of those. God was at work in both of them in the highs and the lows. And the success of God's plan and God's promise is not dependent on your successes or your failures. And so in that, in whatever situation that we're in, we have to be looking at what, God, what is God up to. And probably more than that, what do I actually believe about God and the call in those situations is to do I believe that God is at work in this situation whether I'm in a high or a low whether I'm in the most successful family or in the most broken family do I continue to believe that the promise of God is at work in my life through Jesus and working out through my life into the lives of others and the call is, as it goes right the way through the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, is to repent and believe. All 
God asks of his people is to believe that his, he is at work and to keep trusting him. And in that trust, keep trying to align your life to his ways. Whether you're on top of the world or you're in the bottom of a pit. That we might be faithful followers in all our situations. I had a college lecturer once and it's always stuck in my head. And he said, really good families can produce really bad kids. And really bad families can produce really good kids. (laughs) And that's not to excuse sin or badness, but it's just to, to, to make us recognize that God's at work at both and God's mysteries are not dependent on our successes or failures. The mystery of God's work, of his atoning work in us through Jesus is often mysterious. And so Joseph sometimes found favor from God in favor and success, but other times found favor from God in failure and suffering. And so God, uh, God uses sin and brokenness, but listen, but he's not often glorified in it. He doesn't want us to pursue sin and brokenness, and, but he often uses it to display his glory, display his grace. And so in your situation, as you enter Easter again and you hear that, what do you believe is happening in your situation? And how do you need to apply what happened at Easter to your situation? And as we've said, the success of God's plan is not dependent on our success or failure. So repent and believe that, faithfully follow God. Let's go to the next slide. I want to finish off with this. So this Easter, as I've been thinking about my life and I've been looking at the situation, I'm looking at the highs and lows and where I've, I've come back to these two passages. And I ask that you apply, this is the promise of God, to your situations through these two passages. This is the promise of God. There is no condemnation, this is from Romans chapter 8, there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law, uh, the law of the Spirit who gives us life has set us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of a sinful uh, man to be a sin offering. So he condemned sin to the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be met in us who do not live according to the flesh anymore, but now according to the spirit. See, Jesus' atonement has been freely given to you to anyone who would believe that Jesus was who he said he was. You are right with God. Sin and death is no longer your reality, but life through the Spirit is. And it goes on, and that chapter goes on, it says, but we know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. It says we're in a broken world. It's a messed up world that we're living in. But this is the hope that we have for this is the hope that we are saved, but we, ha- we have this hope uh, through Christ. But if we have hope for what we do not yet have, 
we wait for it patiently. And there's this sense that in this brokenness, in this messed upness, there is hope that we have to apply to our lives despite our situation. A hope that Jesus is coming back again and that one day we will live with him in eternity forever. In the same way, um, it goes on, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. This is the promises of God worked out, that even in your weaknesses, even in your failing, even in your doubts, even in your highs, even in your lows, God is at work in that place. And he says, pray that the Spirit would help you through that. Pray that the Spirit would guide you through that. Pray that the Spirit would reveal God to it. And then uh, this passage ends up in that classic verse that none of us like to hear particularly when we're in suffering and hardship, it's this one. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. We don't like to hear that, but that's the truth and that's the reality. That God is actually using our situations to grow us and to bring glory to him. So what shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us. So what shall separate us now from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger of the sword? Or should goodness, favour and blessing? (laughs) It's the other side of that, isn't it? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So in our situations, it's what do I believe? Do I believe that this is true? Jesus calls us to believe that this is true, that you have a new identity, a new purpose, a new uh, meaning of, of which God is at work in and through you in those situations. And then it goes on, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything in all of creation is able to separate us from the love of God that is at work in Christ Jesus. And then we flick into Philippians chapter 4 where it says, So rejoice in the Lord always, and I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident all. Why? Because the Lord is near. And as I always say, the context of this passage is conflict and brokenness. And he says in that rejoice because the Lord is with you in the middle of it. He's with you and he's present with you in it. And may you know the peace of God that transcends all understanding. And then it says, So don't be anxious about anything. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think about such things. These are the promises of God. And what I ask you to do is to remember those promises of God to you in your situations that you're in. So if you're on top of the world and your week is looking very successful and you're granting the favour, just remember it's God who put you there. It's God who gave you the gifts and God wants to use you in that place of favour to display him to those who are observing your life. And if your place is one of brokenness and dysfunction and messed upness, (laughs) to believe the promises that God is your strength in weakness. That is not your situation that determines who you are. It's God who determines who you are. That God said, I can either change that situation or I'll get you through it. 
but there is nothing that separates you from the love of God, whether that's your intention, <laughs> whether you've actually intentionally gone away, or whether it's something that others have caused you or caused to happen to you. Even in that situation, he says, I am there. And I can even use that, why? To display my glory to those around. <laughs> the people observe you in those situations and think, there is a living God who is amongst us. That in either of those situations, we can give a reason for hope, purpose, meaning. This week, I've been trying to practice this idea of what do I believe about this situation? Um, I've been in a lot of pain the last week or so through a bit of an accident that happened. Um, and in that pain, which I've actually, Colin said to me last night, you're normally a pretty patient person, which I am, <laughs> but this has really annoyed me. And uh, in that place, I... I <laughs> I just, I've just done the simple test of what do I believe about this? I, I believe I have this injury, this pain. So I've been praying for God to heal it. He hasn't. So it's not that he's not absent in that. But I think God's actually teaching me stuff in that. He's actually been made me aware of what it is to live in pain. <laughs> Thinking about others that are in more chronic pain than myself. Um, it made me think about dependence on God. Um, actually, the pain is making me go to God more, pray more. <laughs> Think about him more. And so what I believe in this situation, even though the, the pain and the suffering's there, God's at work in it. And I ended up doing what Philippians 4 did, and I actually started to give thanks. <laughs> I said, thanks, God, that you've shown me this. Thanks that you've actually brought this pain and suffering into my life, that I could see this. Thanks that you've actually grown me through this. And it's that weird, bizarre... <laughs> as a so in that place, and then there was another place... Um, I had a, a, a great conversation with someone where I got to present the gospel to them um, and I was on a high and I, it was a really good gospel presentation. <laughs> and I thought, uh, God, you're the only one that did that. God, you're the only one that brought those words out of my mouth. I couldn't have thought of those illustrations or examples or whatever. God, you are good. You're the one that's to be praised here. Stop big noting yourself and recognize that God's at work. And he's chosen to me to do it, but it, it wasn't me that did it, it was him that did it. And in that place, I reorientated to myself to what I believe, and I repented it and believed. I turned back to God and said, God, now use me more. May you be glorified more in my life. And particularly as I come up to Easter, I said, God, give me opportunity to declare your glory again and again and again. Help me to give, give me opportunity to give the reason for the hope that I have this Easter. And whether I'm high, low, anywhere in between, may your work be displayed through me. Let's pray. Lord and God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a faithful God who is faithful to his promises. And we've seen that um, as we remember Easter. You were so faithful to your promise that you sent Jesus to die for us so that we could be at one with you, we could be right with you, we could be uh, in perfect relationship with you. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful to your promise that despite our situation, despite our circumstances, you are near. More than that, you are working for us and that you are our power and presence in those situations. Lord, will you help us to testify to that and proclaim that it is you who is at work 
Uh, you are the one who is always at work in the backstory of our stories. We you helped us to bring that to the fore uh, in bringing you glory? So wherever you call us, wherever you lead us this week, may we display, display your glory. Holy Spirit, come upon us with power. Uh, get us through or change the situation or humble us in the situation. Help us to use all of our situations for your glory. And when we feel weak, may we know the surge of your Spirit's power to display you in all of our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. We're going to sing and praise God. It's a praise, worship, it's a prayer. It's the ocean song, which I said for me at the beginning of this theme. It's a bit of a, an anthem for this sort of situation. As God calls us into life this week, may this be our prayer that we depend on him and trust in him. And may his glory be displayed in our lives. Let's uh, stand and sing.